The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Interviews, news, and views. You're listening to State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Well, hello and welcome to State of the Nation. I'm Brian McLean, otherwise known as Hesher. I'm broadcasting live out of Central Texas for today's News Talk. TNTradio.live is our website. And of course, I'm joined by my partner in thought crimes here, Steve Hook, who's broadcasting live out of New Jersey. How's it going, thought crime, brother? That's it, man. Just, uh, you know, committing crimes as fast as I can think. It's good to be with you, Hesher. Looking forward to a... uh, Looking forward to a big show, man. We've got a uh, we've got a blockbuster lineup today, and I can't wait to dive in. And there's a lot to dive into, as you well know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We're going to talk to Bonner Cohen in this hour. We're going to talk to Michael Schwartz, and uh, those are both going to be great discussions. And then we got a banger second hour lined up as well. Um, real quick, I'd like to give a uh, a quick nod and shout out to uh, Charlie Robinson and uh, his wonderful producer. They're filling that slot uh, before our show, and uh, man, I'm really enjoying that show. So uh, big um, hello, and you know, many of you know Charlie. He's been one of our weekend hosts for quite a while, but uh, he's now on the Monday to Friday roster, and I'd just like to welcome him to the roster and uh, encourage you to check it out. Of course, you can watch that on our YouTube stream, our Rumble stream, our Odyssey stream. And I do recommend viewing it and please share those around. Uh, it's a wonderfully produced show, like all the shows here at TNT, just top notch productions. So I uh, just wanted to kind of welcome Charlie to the Monday to Friday role there, Steve. Yeah, really. Way to go, Charlie. Bravo. Uh, welcome aboard. Uh, you know, and the, the water's warm, I guess. And the drinks yes, are it cold. Is. <laughs> yes, it is. And I, I know he's got a wonderful producer because it's the same as you and I. We love Kimberly, our producer, <clears throat> and our board operators, our vision switchers. My goodness, TNT Radio. I'm sorry I'm gushing because I have uh, an important story to bring up here. Um, Steve, did you see this? Uh, the statements from Cash Patel this week, uh, just yesterday. Yeah. And, and the funny thing about them is, is whenever if you hang around Steve Bannon for any length of time, you're you're just going to go off because he's just a guy that kind of brings it out. And Cash <laughs> Patel kind of went off, didn't he? Very interesting. Yeah. OK, so here's here's what happened. Cash Patel, of course, a former national security prosecutor who served under President Donald Trump, said on Tuesday that a new Trump administration elected in this upcoming 2024 election would prosecute members of the U.S. media who acted as conspirators and, quote, lied about American citizens. And the end that quote, and to, to quote another one, he said, we will go out and find the conspirators, not just in government, but in the media. Yes, we're going to come after the people in the media who lied about American citizens, who helped Joe Biden rig presidential elections. Uh, he mentioned that, uh, as you pointed out, Steve Bannon on the war room on Tuesday. Um, so I don't know, man. And and he goes on with some some other pretty strong words there. You know, um, he says, we're going to come after you, whether it's criminally or civilly. We'll figure that out. But, yeah, we're putting you all on notice. And, Steve, this is why they hate us. This is why we're, quote unquote, tyrannical. This is why we're dictators um because they're actually he says because we're actually going to use the constitution to prosecute them for crimes uh so isn't this interesting you know on the one hand i completely agree with the sentiment i've said for years that people in our mass media cartel should be wearing here comes the butt 
Yeah, they should be wearing military uniforms because they're engaging in in war propaganda. Um, but but this <laughs> kind of does lead back to that whole thing where it's like, well, wait a minute. So the left has been doing very unconstitutional things. The weaponized government, you know, so much overreach. I mean, I'm not even going to go through the list. It's too long. It's a laundry list. And many people say, well, the, the conservatives, the right needs to use the same tactics against the left. But it's like, what does this boil down to? One one side saying you're a dictator, the other side saying you're a dictator, and then every time the vote flip flops, like we just are, we're just gonna see like political lawfare and all this. Like, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's a mixed bag sort of feeling when I when I see um, opinions like this coming out of our you know sort of our mainstream GOP, Steve. Well, let me just say let, let me just say this. I agree with your sentiment, but here's my but. Uh, you, we've got the uh, censorship industrial complex going on. We have the media colluding, to use one of uh, the left's favorite words, uh, with big tech, with big media. And they are doing this to violate constitutional law of, of American citizens. In that case, it's not really tit for tat. It's, okay, you are projecting, you are using double standards, you are using a two-tiered, multiple-tiered system of justice uh, with regards to every other American that's not quote-unquote woke enough for you. Um, So we're going to use the actual Constitution and the law to come after you to prosecute you for violating those rights. That is a sticking point, and I think that's what Patel is trying to get at here. I don't know how much luck he's going to have with it. God knows when you say you're going to go after the media, too, that opens a whole can of worms. But if they can prove that the media did, in fact, collude with DOJ, FBI, name the three-letter agency of your choice, if they can prove that, and they've got evidence that suggests it, and we're going to talk to Dr. Bonner Cohen about that later. You mentioned him. Uh, we've got in our second hour. We're going to talk a lot about the censorship industrial complex. If they can prove that, then maybe Cash Patel is on to something. But man, it's going to cause a lot of consternation, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Well, the most important thing to many of us, I think, is wrestling the narrative away from that mainstream media. That's what needs to happen almost immediately. And I just wish it was more of a citizen and um non-politically biased uh legal and legislative push to stop these sort of things from happening this shouldn't have to be one side of the hill versus the other side of the hill hoping that there'll be some judge somewhere that's you know still constitutional and not an activist judge there's just i would just feel much better about it if this was citizen oriented and felt but let me ask you something asher let me yeah i get you but let me ask you this Who's pushed this? Who's done it? Who, you know, we talk about this divisive era. We talk about how divided that, 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 that but who's pushing this division? Who, who's embracing all of this? It's, it's one the, side. So I don't know. You know, well, I mean, you get, could argue the uniparty factor in the rhinos. Yeah, you, you certainly could. Too. I, I, would, so, I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that. But, but the point is the impetus for all of this comes from the left, even members of the uniparty uh, rhinos. Uh, they are decidedly coming at this from a leftist point of view because, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And in this case, Trump is the enemy of the uniparty and Trump supporters to a larger degree are the enemy of the state, for God's sake. So we need to censor them and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the rest of the story. Yeah. 
Yeah, of course. All right. Well, uh, this is an interesting one. We'll continue this conversation for sure because there's a lot there. But did you know there's many ways you can listen to TNT Radio? Why not stream us direct from our website on your desktop, tablet, or mobile device or download our app from the App Store? And we are streaming live video on YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey. We got you covered on TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. So Michigan's governor, Gretchen Whitmer, dreaded Gretchen Whitmer, has signed an executive directive ordering the entire state fleet of government vehicles to be, you guessed it, zero emission or fully electric here with the story joining us now is tnt radio news producer adam clark otherwise known as ruckus ruckus uh, uh what's what's going on with michigan this time well I, you know i think there's a lot of uh climate agenda related virtue signaling and news stories happening right now because it is that time of year we got the cop 28 going on in abu dhabi uh, is that no? Sorry, Dubai, Abu Dhabi. <laughs> My bad. Um, so yes, I, we're going to see a lot of stuff like this. Uh, Tis the season. Uh, but this case under Miss Whitmer's uh, executive directive, signed on December fifth, all light duty vehicles in the state fleet must be zero emission electric vehicles by twenty thirty three. Sorry, John Kerry, you cannot ride aboard these vehicles if you're going to be doing what you did there on stage the other day. <clears throat> anyway, uh, look it up, people. Uh, medium and heavy-duty vehicles in the state fleet will have a longer transition period, having to go full electric by 2040. Wow. Miss, Ms. Whitmer uh, wrote in the directive, which comes on the heels of a series of bills that the governor signed aiming to make Michigan the Midwest's most aggressive clean energy state. She said the following, quote, Michigan is on the cutting edge of mobility and electrification. We must usher the future of mobility and clean energy into Michigan by winning projects and leading by example in state government, end quote. The directive goes into effect immediately and already requires Michigan's Department of Technology, Management and Budget to start prioritizing the purchase of electric vehicles for the state fleet. One bright spot for those in Michigan state agencies that would prefer to stick to gas or diesel powered vehicles, for instance, due to EV reliability problems, is that the directive calls for the establishment of vehicle purchase exception criteria, along with an exception review and approval process. Still, despite teasing the opportunity for state fleet managers to apply for exceptions, Ms. Whitmer made clear Ms. 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 Whitmer made clear that applying for one will be frowned upon. That's right. How dare you? She writes, quote, exceptions shall be disfavored. And when requesting an exception, the requesting agency shall consider alternate decarbonization strategies for reducing fleet emissions, including but not limited to biofuels and plug in hybrid electric vehicles, end quote. While local governments and higher education institutions won't be forced to abide by Miss Ms. Whitmer's EV directive, she said they'll be, quote unquote, encouraged to comply. Mm -hmm. Reactions online were mixed to Miss Ms. Whitmer's announcement, with critics pointing to reliability issues with EVs that could have a negative impact on services provided with the use of government vehicles, especially heavy duty ones like 
snowplows. The Michigan governor's push towards electrification of the state fleet comes as the state, which is home to America's biggest automakers, bets big on the clean energy transition. Recently, she signed a set of bills to form the Michigan Clean Energy and Jobs Act. Uh-huh. And that would uh, include streamlining the permit uh, process for solar and wind projects, mandate that state utilities move 100% of electricity sales to clean energy sources by 2040, a whole bunch of stuff that are just handed down to her from a higher agency for those who are paying attention. Uh, and I'll lastly point out, gentlemen, this comes as the Biden administration has pledged to build 1.2 million publicly available EV chargers by 2040. Thanks in part to the $7.5 billion in taxpayer funds that were earmarked for this purpose in the 2021 infrastructure bill, though not a single one has been built yet using those funds. Of course. What do you guys think? <laughs> I just think, I, for one, I think that John Kerry, um, and I know exactly what you were referring to about his uh, little, his little on air, his onstage panel at the uh, COP28. Uh, he emitted more uh, carbon killing uh, gases from that stage than I have in the last month. And uh, as, again, as Ruckus points out, look it up if you don't know. Pretty funny. Um, not one single charger has been built yet, Ruckus. Yet blue state governors and blue state uh, or blue city mayors are pushing for this EV push for all their municipal and state vehicles. And two years ago, we handed over about a tr damn near a trillion dollars, including billions, to build over a half a million chargers. And in that length of time, the federal government has managed to build exactly none. Um, so, yeah, what, what's going to happen when everybody goes EV and there's no place to plug them in? Yeah, uh, that leads me to that sort of begs this question, Steve. Uh, who benefits where mm. where will they all charge? Who gets the contract to build the parking garages and the new parking spots and the upgrades and all the little green stickers and paint and all these things? How much um, how much does the charging cost overall? Uh, is is that going to obviously that's shifted to the taxpayers in some sense? I mean, they're currently paying for the gas for these vehicles, right? So is there a cost analysis, a cost difference analysis that's being looked at here? I didn't see anything nope. like that mentioned in the article. Um, so, you know, and how much does the corporate energy uh, revenue go up? Like if there's a massive difference there, um, what company is behind this? Which Michigan uh, state contracted energy companies uh, will be benefiting from this and to how much? And is that offset going to be given back to the citizens of the state to sort of offset that tax? I kind of doubt that. I didn't hear anything uh, making sense about anything like that. And finally, um, there's only 10.2 million people in Michigan, right? So 10.2 million Michiganders. Uh, what percent of those even drive state vehicles? And then of what percentage of the global population are those? Like, is this, you know what I mean? Speaking about gas in the yeah. wind, uh, <laughs> this sort yeah, of, well, like, what are you trying to accomplish here and who benefits? Well, Hesher, it is, it, it's a brave new world and us plebes just need to shut up and go along. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's really great that this would be the first news hit of the day for ruckus because it, it's so perfectly, 
uh, uh, lines up with our first guest, Dr. Bonner Cohen, because we're going to be talking with him about this, this green new push. Green, of course, as we've always said, is the new red. It's a uh, massive wealth redistribution, power redistribution, and I don't mean electrical power and and a power that'll get you to and from. I mean government power, heavy-handed, fisted. It's just, um, it's so blatant. It's so obvious. Um, and it's starting to, you know, it's starting to show phrase. Even at COP28, they're starting to have debates about, uh, you know, the host country. I mean, you saw Kerry's coming out against the host country. Al Gore lost his mind when this guy came out and said, oh, we don't even know if carbon or fossil fuels really even affect it. We don't even know if it'll. So this whole thing is a scam and it's starting to fall apart. But, you know, Gretchen Whitmer, naturally, she's going to embrace it. She's probably going to get lots of federal funding and. Why wouldn't she? She's a leftist. Yeah, well, Ruckus, she's a darling of the uh, the leftist uh, system. I mean, we saw the whole setup there that went down with her, uh, you know, her own little fed surrection that she had at her house where the FBI whipped up some guys to try to entrap someone into a kidnapping plot. And they made this huge deal in the news about it. And it turns out it was just basically another like juicy smallette style thing but involving a state governor i mean absolutely ridiculous um ruckus where do you think the district lines will be drawn for this just off the top of your head like is this just going to be an infrastructure for certain areas of the state for virtue signaling or do the rest of the populations get to plug into all this stuff too when they get forced into evs Right. Yeah. I was just thinking, I'm like, you're not going to, you don't see any Republican governors or mayors or anybody like that pushing for this kind of thing. It seems to be split down the line uh, politically. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen uh, when the, the whole world, we have to do something now because everything's boiling or whatever they say. Um, yeah. I don't know what they're going to do, Hesher. Maybe they'll, uh, maybe they'll offer free Krispy Kreme donuts to everyone that buys an EV vehicle. What do you think? <laughs> oh, yeah. You need a lot of Krispy Kremes because nobody's buying the damn things, except for state governments, apparently. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it did sell some jean jabs, so you never know. People do love their donuts, fellas. All right, yeah, Ruckus, true. thanks. Thanks so much for bringing us that one. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Rick Munn on TNT Radio. There was a, a statement that I saw last week that I thought was quite interesting from one of these uh, web spokespeople, the World Economic Forum spokesperson. And one thing that she said that I thought was quite interesting was she said, you know, um, there has been a little bit of a tail off with people buying into the vaccine narrative. And she blamed that on people like us spreading so called missing disinformation. She said that climate change was a little bit too much of an abstract concept for people to really grab and get their heads around. So that's not really taking off the way they want to either. And then she said something very interesting. She said, you know what? When the water crisis comes, people will understand that because it's simple and everybody needs water. And if you don't have water for a few days at a time, you'll know all about it. So maybe, you know, we're hypothesizing a little bit about what's what it's going to take to grab people and bring them back on board again with a World Economic Forum type narrative. Could this be what it is? Locked and Loaded with Rick Munn on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. 
Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Well, capitalism and free market is being intentionally destroyed. And I mean, it's being intentionally destroyed at a pretty quick rate. Uh, we have discussed the policies that help bring that about, everything from ESG, DEI, and those policy decisions as uh, as uh, as really evil and 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 uh, just authoritarian as they are, pale in comparison to the big one. And that's what we were just talking about with Ruckus a moment ago: the greening of the planet, the carbon neutralization, the net zero utopian pipe dreams. Well, we're very happy to welcome back to the program Dr. Bonner Cohen. He's a senior fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research, and we welcome him back to State of the Nation. Dr. Cohen, thank you so much for joining us. We've uh, we've got the, the uh, COP28 uh, event going down in Dubai, and uh, it's, uh, it's just kind of a globalist uh, pipe dream of how they can garner more and more power and the greening of the planet, which, of course, will be better for all of us. What's your take on all of this, uh, Dr. Cohen? Well, think of it as the uh, World Economic Forum on Steroids. What you have in Dubai is a gathering of representatives from over 100 countries around the world, accompanied by, according to the latest estimate, 70,000 activists, uh, along with assorted purveyors of green energy who hope to profit immensely from all the changes that are coming our way, along with investors uh, eager to pump money into government-subsidized and favored industries. They're all gathering together uh, to make further commitments to, A, reducing their uh, emissions of greenhouse gases, and B, and that's particularly important in this conference, um, creating a new fund into which money uh, extracted primarily from taxpayers, and this is a regressive extraction of taxpayer money, which will hit middle and lower income earners more, that more than it will the well-to-do, and that money will then go into something called the Loss and Damage Fund. The Loss and Damage Fund refers to all the losses that poorer countries around the world have suffered as a result of what they would have you believe is human-induced global warming, and the damages are to uh, have a reserve fund there for future cataclysmic climate events, uh, such as uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, floods, and what have you. The problem with all of this, actually there are many problems with it, is that the Earth has always had floods. It has always had droughts. It has always had tropical storms, just as the Earth's climate has changed many, many times since the Earth was created 4.6 billion years ago. But these people putting on COP28 in Dubai would have us believe in keeping with the whole global warming slash climate change narrative. This was all something new, and it is being caused by us through our use of fossil fuels and our practices of agriculture. And what it really is, is a gigantic scam. Uh, it's about redistributing uh, wealth 
and it's about redistributing power. And the power, by the way, is going to be distributed to those who already hold power, both in government and in the private sector, specifically uh, industries, companies, products favored by government. They're, they are colluding here on an absolutely epic scale with subsidies, tax breaks, and the like. And that is what is being cooked up in COP28. It bodes very well uh, for the participants in the, the conference, those who stand to gain power and money for this. But as for the rest of us, we're going to be on the hook if we're going to see our disposable incomes shrink. We are going to see the choices that we make in terms of the cars that we buy, the household appliances that, that we want to purchase. They will determine, that they being the government, will determine the choices that we make, and we will see those choices taken right out of our hands, all in the name of solving what they would have us to believe is a climate crisis, which is pure fiction, but is something that is serving as the pretext for an enormous power grab. Dr. Cohen, uh, do you think that this is potentially one of the the most important narratives for uh, Americans and all people of the West to take this narrative away from this cabal of military interests, corporate interests, political interests, uh, interests in, you know, World Economic Forum style, you know, globalist interests. I mean, what's at stake if their narrative is allowed to continue to be the primary narrative. If you could hold your answer, we have seen their narrative dominate just about all the reporting on the various conferences here. And some of our listeners might wonder, well, COP28, what does the 28 refer to? Uh, This is the 28th such conference. These are uh, UN-sponsored conferences. And uh, at each and every one of these things, uh, we see the choices that we make and our own economic future uh, go down the drain even more. So how to combat this? And I think you're absolutely right. Uh, those of us who recognize what is going on here, which, by the way, has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with the climate, have to realize that this is a power grab. And uh, there is a gigantic and ever-expanding climate cabal uh, composed of purveyors of all sorts of renewable energy, almost all of which are heavily subsidized by taxpayers, along with governments, which welcome the opportunity to increase their power over all of us, as well as Silicon Valley people and Wall Street people who are heavily invested in all of this. Uh, You put all of that together, and you have a kind of Godzilla against ordinary people. So it's incumbent upon us to understand what game is being played here. It's, It's don't accept their narrative, because once you try to argue on their terms, and you, which means you accept their vocabulary, you've already lost the fight. But expose these people for who and what they are. And once people realize that they're, as, as, as I said, their rights are going to be taken away from them, their disposable incomes are, are, are going to fall, fall precipitously, and that the whole agenda here is very regressive. Those at the top are going to come out fine, uh, but the rest of us are not going to fare well at all. And you know what? Those calling the shots and running the show 
don't care about the rest of us. And that is what people need to understand. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That is the truth. All right, Dr. Bonner-Cohen, please hold the line. We have a headline with today's news talk. We'll pick up right where we left after this message from TNT Radio. Hey, hey, what are you guys doing? Uh, we're breaking news. Oh, okay, carry on. TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Elon Musk has taken a swipe at Harvard President Claudine Gay as he offered to help her out on campus anti-Semitism. Musk posted on X, let me help them out here calling for the genocide, death of anyone, obviously constitutes harassment. Legislation requiring car makers to produce an escalating minimum quota of electric vehicles passed despite 38 conservative MPs rebelling against it. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT Radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT Radio. All right, you're uh, back with us here at State of the Nation. Our guest today is Dr. Bonner Cohen, our first guest of the day. And Dr. Cohen, what you've been describing here in COP28, the 28th such meeting, hopefully it won't be the last one because with each and every passing conference like this, it tends to kind of go down in flames, but it really does look, and you've pointed this out, like some very heavily financed and well-funded, self-funded groups, oligarchs, if you will, and government uh types are, are really kind of pushing all their chips to the center of the table here. Um, and, you know, we can get the word out, but we've also seen, you see young kids, especially in Europe, gluing themselves to the street, throwing cans of uh, of soup on masterpiece paintings uh, in, in various museums. Uh, they, they've really kind of, in many ways, um, they've kind of won the battle for the narrative here. But the funny thing is, is whenever this is brought up in a poll, most Americans say that's not even close to the top 10 of my concerns, but that it, it doesn't seem to matter. They're going to push it no matter what. We've got to roll this back. Is this going to be an every four-year battle or every time we get uh, a different is, party in the White House? Every four-year battle. Uh, we're going to have to fight this every day. Uh, the people pushing this agenda on us live in a bubble. They speak only with those who share their view of the world. One of the mistakes I think they may have made, however, is they have expanded uh, the agenda to do away with fossil fuels, uh, forcing EVs down our throats, EVs that most people don't want, much less can't afford, uh, stripping us of our ability to choose the household appliances that we want. But they are now threatening the global food supply. Why? Because they have determined that uh, methane, uh, which is produced by a whole bunch of things, uh, including uh, uh, the cattle, the, the farm animals that we have, uh, the sheep and, and what have you that, that graze, this is a source of what they say are very potent greenhouse gases. So what they want to do uh, is gradually do away with meat as quickly as possible uh, and they're actually rather increasingly open about this. Uh, they want for people to replace meat with, I kid you not, uh, insects. One of the uh, financiers of all of this is Bill Gates, the co-founder of Microsoft and a protege of the late uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Mr. Gates has bought up 
hundreds of thousands of acres of farmland uh, in the United States, and will probably buy up more. What will he do with that farmland? Grow crops? No. Uh, he wants to use that farmland to put up uh, companies uh, and devices that he has a financial stake in that will, among other things, suck carbon dioxide, CO2, out of the air. So you're getting productive farmland, you're turning it into something uh, that will have the consequence, the very predictable consequence of lowering agricultural productivity because crops need CO2 to grow. And if you reduce the levels of CO2 around the world, you are atmospheric levels of CO2 around the world, uh, you're, you're, you're heading us toward a real crisis in food supply. Recent elections in the Netherlands show what can happen uh, when the government there targeted the farmers. They say, you farmers have got to pitch in and save the planet. Well, the Netherlands exports an awful lot of food, small country though, though it is. And the farmers rose up. And in the most recent election there, uh, the party that had been leading the charge against the whole climate change agenda finished first in the elections. I think you're going to see that elsewhere. Uh, because once you take steps uh, that lower agricultural productivity, you start pushing people, billions of whom live right on the edge. You're going to push those people uh, into uh, a, a very unhealthy diet. You're flirting with man-made starvation, man-made famine, the kinds of things that we haven't seen since Mao Tse-Sung's China and Stalin's Ukraine uh, in, the, in the 1930s. Uh, and this is all being done in the name of saving the planet. But no thought whatsoever is being given to the people who have to live on the planet, who are somehow meekly supposed to accept what these people hand down to us. And the only way to fight back against this is to recognize what their real agenda is. And you're quite right. Despite everything they've done, they've captured all the institutions, K through 12, the media, the corporate boardrooms, and all of this. Yet, yeah. survey after well, survey. Well, Dr. Cohn, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up, but I, I, we, we got to get you back on this because, yeah, doc, I'm sorry, Dr. Cohen, we're, we're running against a, a pretty tough break here, but want to thank you for coming on today. National policy, or NationalCenter.org is where you can find uh, Dr. Cohen's work. And of course, check out check out the, the the lawsuits and everything that's going to be coming. And I have no doubt that you're right. We're entering a, uh, a pitchfork and torch era here. People are not going to stand for this. National Center for Public Policy Research, Dr. Bonner Cohen, God bless you, sir. Thank you for joining us today on State of the Nation. Well, thank you very much for having me. Okay, you take care. And we'll be right back on TNT Radio right after this. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. These are parlous times for liberty in the United States and for the Constitution and the rule of law. House Republicans have joined with their Democrat colleagues to oust Republican Representative George Santos, only the sixth member to ever be removed from the lower legislative chamber. Three were removed in 1861 after they joined the Confederacy, and the other two following their convictions of the crimes of which they were accused. Santos has been accused of fraud crimes but not convicted. This is a premature 
preemptive strike by Republicans on one of their own, and it sets a dangerous precedent. Now, I hold no grief for George Santos. He seems, quite frankly, like a wingnut, but it's up to the constituents of his district to remove him from office, absent a criminal conviction. This is just one more episode in the long history of Republicans bowing to Democrat will. It seems as though when Democrats win elections, they get their own way. And when Republicans win elections, Democrats still get their own way. This is why we're so upset with the Republican Party. Grow a pair, stand up, and say no to the other side. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. The next time you think you can illegally handle your mobile phone while driving and get away with it, think again. Phone detection cameras are in operation on New South Wales roads. Hello. So if you're driving and illegally handle your mobile phone, you can stop it or cop it. Conversations about what matters the most. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. In America, more and more people have realized they cannot rely on the government or the cops in many cases to keep them safe. Uh, Citizens are embracing their Second Amendment right in record numbers right now, and we have some data to prove that. And I'll just point out that uh, in the Obama regime, Barack was the greatest gun salesman of the era. David Hogg came along. He did a pretty good job selling guns. Uh, Then the George Floyd riots and the COVID lockdowns, one upped it even more. And now perhaps a corrupt, weaponized federal government under President Joe Biden is perhaps the newest big salesman or the firearms industry, or the ATF itself. Um, But this is well illustrated by this last Black Friday's firearms sales. The FBI, NICS, the NICS, which stands for National Instant Criminal Background Check, uh, completed 214,913 background checks. And the interesting thing about that is that doesn't even correlate to a one-to-one gun purchase. A percentage of those people may have bought more than one. And then... um, on Black Friday just last year, it was 192,749 NICS checks. So this is pretty staggering. Uh, joining us now to discuss is the executive director of the San Diego uh, County Gun Owners PAC, Michael Schwartz, rejoining us. Michael, those are big sales number from Black Friday. What do you think? Uh, what do you think of this as we see interest in self-defense and shooting sports on such a major rise right now? Yeah, two hundred thousand guns in, in in one day is uh, is an enormous number, and uh, we see it as as very positive. I think there are a lot of you hit some of the high points as far as what sparked people's interest in the past. Um, Obama and uh, uh, Congress were talking about gun bans and more restrictions, so that that sparked interest in people wanting to purchase firearms. And then, like you you talked about the BLM riots and you know COVID and all these things. Uh, put fear in, in in people and made them want to purchase firearms. But I think that there's also, as a result of those instances, a, a more practical reason. Um, firearms have, have advanced a lot. There are a lot more options when it comes to uh, concealed carry options, you know, firearms that you can actually carry around for self-defense. They're not huge, bulky, uh, you know, pistols anymore. They now have nice, sleek, uh, very easy to carry firearms. And that combined with, uh, there are 27 states now that don't even require 
a concealed carry permit in order for you to carry a firearm. As long as you can legally own the gun, you can legally carry it without going through a permitting process. And that type of culture um, that was really kind of a bottom up, and now it's a top down push, meaning that um, activists said, hey, we want to be able to defend ourselves. And they pushed lawmakers into making concealed carry laws that that enabled them to, to be able to defend themselves outside of the home. And now that policy that's been implemented is, is you know, at the top is, is pushing back down. So people um, are seeing, you know, their friends and loved ones and whatever, they're able to defend themselves. They're taking classes, they're owning firearms that are appropriate for concealed carry. And now they're jumping in uh, because they want to be safe too. Yeah. Well, Hey, Michael, Steve Hook here. Uh, thanks for joining us on State of the Nation. You know, um, the late Diane Feinstein probably sold more AR-15s than Armalite uh, could keep up with. I know that there was a backlog on them. Every time they said the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, we got to get rid of the military-style assault weapons, uh, which is a term that she made up right out of thin air. But I agree with you. It is good to see more people exercising their Second Amendment rights. But at the same time, it's it's almost sad because people are doing it i think in, to hesher's point because they feel they have to they have to they have to have the right to defend themselves the old adage you know is uh you know when when you need a cop they're only minutes away but if you've got a gun you're you're you know you can defend yourself do you find it kind of a double-edged sword that so many people i mean i'm glad that people are exercising their second amendment rights don't get me wrong but do you think it 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 kind of speaks to where we are as a nation that so many people feel they need to go out and purchase a gun? And I'm not, I not, I'm not against that. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. Um, two of the big demographics that are increasing faster than any are, are women and uh, minorities, and especially minority women who are purchasing uh, firearms for the first time in droves there's a lot of women out there there are a lot of minorities particularly a lot of minority women who are saying hey you know what i don't feel safe in this current environment they're watching the news they're seeing all the crime um you know it's 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 not a good environment um and that's the downside right that's a that's the sad side when you're when you're looking at la and detroit and, and new orleans and some of these really you know baltimore uh some of these really dangerous cities and all these stories about uh attacks and you know it's it's definitely making people feel less safe and that's sad that's the downside the upside is is that they have the ability to to be empowered so that's the upside you know that women are finally you know unfortunately the message is hey it's an unsafe uh in a world and it's getting even more unsafe um but uh the upside is they're able to empower themselves they're able to you know take control be their own first responder i think that one thing that's not being talked about nearly enough is uh there i i think that there has been an influence from the attack in israel in october by hamas uh the uh there are a lot of women's groups out there that are remaining completely and totally silent when it comes to the violent and horrific attacks on women by Hamas terrorists in Israel. Um, I think that they're allowing other political uh, views to cloud what they should be doing as women's groups, which is defending women. And there are women in Israel that were attacked in a way that was so violent and so horrific because they were women. Uh, yeah. They were uh, sexually assaulted horribly. 
And I think that that message that, that, you know, that gets into to women's minds, you know, I, women and men live in two completely different worlds and women know that message. They see that message and they live in a completely different world. So when they see that kind of violence, even though it's across an ocean, um, it registers that, Hey, I need to be able to defend myself. Yeah. Well, we're seeing it here too. Like I follow a lot of two way accounts and I, I follow, I've noticed as I do so, I, you know, I don't care if it's a woman or a man. If I feel like there's good information coming on it, I follow them. And I'm noticing over the last few years, there are a lot of, um, you know, what some people might call like mommy bloggers or something like that, that have sort of uh, transitioned into or, or you know, elevated into a, um, a, a mindset of knowing what's around them, right? They're into, interested in situational awareness. They're talking about crimes like sliding and jugging and follow home robberies and, you know, posting videos of other people in tight situations and giving advice for how to get out of it. So that was never there before. Uh, I, so that was pretty striking to me. And, and I've also noticed that there's, and this is something I'd like to hear you touch on, there's a huge rise in Democrat gun ownership. Like even the political contingent in our country that the media and the anti-gun lobby seems to pander to seems to be going out and getting themselves um, armed up and trained up. And, and this elevates everybody into actually what many would say is a very friendly and nice community of people. The, the firearms industry or community, if you will, has become much more friendly to family. Not that it wasn't before, but there's much more interest by families, moms, women, and all types of people like you're pointing out. Yeah, I've, I've been involved in first-time shooter programs for over a decade, 15 years, something like that. We actually, San Diego County Gun Owners has our own first-time shooter program where we, we show people how to shoot for the first time. They've never maybe touched a gun before in their whole life. They've made it into adulthood without touching a gun. And we uh, make it real easy for them to just have a first-time shooting program and then hopefully spark an interest in taking uh, in-depth classes. But I've noticed in that time period, 14 years or so, um, you know, back 14 years ago, the classes were full of men. Uh, and there was a different attitude, not, not a better one, not a worse one, just a different attitude. It was a little bit more of a bucket list item. Like, you know, Hey, I'm a, I'm a guy. I've always wanted to do this a little bit more bravado. Um, these days, uh, at least half of our first time shooters programs are women. And there's a definitely a different attitude. There's more of a, this is a tool. I need to learn how to use it. You know, what does that lever do? What does that button do? You know, there it's it's fun, it's exciting, but there's a, a little bit more of a practical interest. Um, and I've definitely noticed that um, uh, men or women, there's a different demographic as far as politics that are, are getting into first-time shooter programs. We're completely nonpartisan, so we don't care if someone's Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green, we don't care. Um, it, it, it's going to benefit gun owners if, uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats are both fighting for the gun owner vote. You know, if we have one party that takes us for granted and another party that thinks we're evil, um, we're not going to get anywhere. In fact, our, our, our rights are going to continue to be chipped away. Our second amendment rights are going to continue to disappear. If we have two parties that both respect our civil rights, which is to keep and bear arms, um, then, you know, it's going to benefit. We're going to get rid of some of these horrible, uh, policies that have been put in place. Um, we're going to make it easier for people to be able to defend themselves and, and, uh, you know, exercise their right to keep and bear arms. 
Michael, let me ask you this because, and this is, and I agree with what you're saying there. It would be nice uh, if both parties would would embrace the Second Amendment, and uh, and and it should be a nonpartisan issue. This should be a constitutional rights issue. Both parties should uh, wrap their arms around that. That, uh, in many instances, is not always the case. And also, whenever you get stories of shootings, mass shootings, whatever it may be, uh, if it bleeds, it leads, that kind of thing. Uh, it, it's a new battle. The battle begins once again because you know that the calls for new common sense gun laws are going to come on the books. And I would be remiss if I didn't point out because it broke right as you were coming on, uh, as as bad luck would have it. Police in the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, are responding to an active shooter situation right now. Uh, and they're posting that uh, multiple victims. Now, we don't know the details on this. This is a breaking story. And I bring that up because not to not to downplay the rights of people to own guns. This is probably a perfect ex- uh, example of why they should own a gun. If I'm in an active shooter situation, I want to be able to defend myself. But whenever these stories break, it's always, inevitably, invariably, we need common sense gun laws. Um, and I would wager that we're going to start hearing that again uh, from one party specifically within the next couple of hours if it hadn't already started what do you think yeah it's and it's unfortunate you know uh it's important to understand that between 1 million and 3 million times per year an american uses a firearm uh to stop or prevent a violent crime and it depends yes. on what survey you you see and use but that's you know cdc that's academia that's fbi reports um that show between 1 million and 3 million times per year a crime is prevented or stopped um, thanks to someone having a firearm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're pulling a trigger, but it, it means that they had a firearm and were able to stop or prevent a, 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 a uh, some kind of violent crime. I agree with you. Unfortunately, um, what I've found is there are very few anti-gun activists. Most of them are just pro-Democrat Party activists, and they're leveraging the Second Amendment um, and they're leveraging gun control in order to get people to vote for Democrats, um, which which I think is is it, it's it's a really it's a poor way. It's a really horrible way to um, to implement public policy um, when all you're really trying to do is get someone elected for, you know, 10 other reasons. You're not really trying to respect people's rights to keep and bear arms or solve a crime problem. Um, you're really simply just trying to get more Democrats elected. And, and that's really why it's important for us to stay um, nonpartisan. You know, I, I think that there are some obvious issues that should be partisan taxes, immigration. Uh, you know, there are some some uh, definite uh, debates to be had in, in those uh, different arenas. But the Second Amendment, that that's people's safety. That's their ability to protect themselves. That how can you disagree on that? You know, that needs to be. Uh, uh, non, non-political. It needs to be, uh, you know, every party agreeing on, uh, on the same goals and that's to keep people safe. So, and, and, and enable them to be able to defend themselves. Yeah. You know, and we, we talked about women, uh, without a firearm, oftentimes without that great equalizer for, for a female, uh, there is no way for them to defend themselves. So it's like trying to disarm legal American firearm owners is is greatly vastly destroying women's rights i would say yeah i've uh, you know there's only about five thousand years of of written human history and through most of that human history 
Um, you know, the biggest, baddest person in the village got to do whatever they wanted to whoever they wanted. It's really only been about 250 years that we've had an effective uh, portable self-defense tool, which is a firearm. And in that 250 years, you've seen a country built on the idea of defending people's rights. You know, that's what the government's role is to to uh, preserve and defend people's rights. You've seen rights of minorities, of women, of LGBT, of all kinds of individuals advanced in that 250 years. That's not a coincidence. You know, that's cause and effect. Um, so, you know, the, your right to keep and bear arms is really your right to be able to defend yourself either individually or, you know, as a community. And, and that's the only way you're going to be able to advance individual rights. You know, it's, it's really the, the defense of the smallest minority, which is the individual. Yeah, here, here. And, and and I I would like to think that most people would see that. And again, that kind of gets back to the, the point I was making earlier. Uh, the, the, this uptick in numbers uh, is great. And I do agree more women. And I'm, by the way, I know quite a few that love to just sport shoot women uh, go to the range all the time. I get invited by some of my friends that uh, uh, their, their, their wives will say, hey, you guys want to meet us at the range. So it's that's absolutely true. Uh, the sad thing is, I think a lot of people feel that they have to because the government's let them down. I certainly hope the government doesn't let them down with regards to protecting their constitutional rights to self-defense. Because if you're a minority woman and you're living in an urban uh, you know, situation where you're having to go to bed to the sound of gunshots, who the hell should tell you that you have no right to a weapon to defend yourself and your family? It's just it's such a such an absurd uh, notion. So I do hope that people continue to embrace those. Two uh, a rights because it's important for the country beyond yourself. It is. We actually have a women's pro program called "Not Me," as in "Not Me." I'm not going to become a victim, or "Not Me." You're not going to leave me disarmed. And our "Not Me" program, any woman who is interested in owning a firearm, getting training for that firearm, and getting a carry permit, if they contact us for free, we'll put them in touch with a trained volunteer who's also a woman and she will hold her hand through the entire process she needs to get a gun she'll show her how to buy a gun if she needs training she'll get her training if she needs a permit she'll help her fill out the application and if any of that is cost prohibitive we'll actually uh, find discounts or grants to make sure that her self-defense is not cost prohibitive and that program we just had our 1100th woman go through that program uh, wow. we're very, very proud. And that's just in San Diego. That's just wow. San Diego County. Um, Amazing, so we're very Michael. proud of that program. It's very empowering. And let me, uh, let me, Michael, Michael, let me cut in and make sure I get the website out so people can take advantage of that. That's San Diego County gunowners.com. That's, that's the it. connection point right there. Michael Schwartz, thank you so much for everything you're doing and for joining us here on State of the Nation today. Thank you. This is today's News Talk TNT Radio.